Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Comedy History 101, where we school you in comedy. Today, being that it's the COVID-19 summer months of 2020, we have a special reprise of our episode on the history of George Martin. George Martin, as you might know, was the producer of The Beatles, but he got his start producing comedy albums, and you'll find out more. Before we launch into the episode, take some time to like, subscribe, and comment on Comedy History 101, wherever you get your podcast, or on our website, ComedyHistory101.com. And without further ado... You're stupid. Everybody's so stupid. The good thing about doing comedy in Russia, you have captured the audience. You're stupid. Everybody's so stupid. Comedy History 101. She loves you. Yeah! 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 She loves you. Yeah! Yeah! was a clip from uh, the 1964 Peter Sellers George Martin collaboration of a satirical take on the Beatles She Loves You. Peter Sellers, as we all know, he did that in the character of, of Dr. Strangelove. Yep, that's who he's being, Dr. Strangelove. In that yeah, yeah, so basically it's Dr. Strangelove singing the Beatles She Loves You. And, of course, yes. you've tuned in to another episode of Comedy History 101. Where we school you in comedy. I am Harmon Leon. With me is Scott Kalanico. Scott, how are you enjoying this fine day? She loves you, Harmon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was, the, you know, uh, we had some fun with that, didn't we? But it all ties into the episode today of, uh, when Scott, when I say the words, producer George Martin, what comes to mind? Abbey Road, man. Paul Paul's dead. Paul's dead. You know, elaborate a little further on who George Martin is. Oh, George Martin was a producer. He's a producer that uh, produced majority of the Beatles albums, except I think the last. Uh, I think the ones that Phil Spector did. I think towards the end he didn't do those. Um, but then they brought him back for um, uh, the very last Beatles album. So that was nice of them. Uh, that's that's what he's famous for, yes. Yeah, he's known for kind of adding, uh, you know, in the later years, kind of the crazy surrealism that you would hear on such notable songs as uh, Strawberry Fields and A Day in the Life when it gets all trippy. So that's yeah. pure George Martin. Because if do you ever hear like them break down, like just hear John Lennon do Day in the Life just on an acoustic guitar, it's like just a completely different song. Yeah, no, I um, I knew this. I heard the story about George Martin and the really crazy, weird part of Day in the Life, where they kind of basically just took a bunch of tapes and threw them up in the air, and then just pieced them together as they found them. 
But the thing is that a lot of people don't know, I didn't even know this until like last week, is that uh, George Martin, the producer for the Beatles, um, you know, largely from 1962 to 1970, he got his chops doing that kind of uh, recording when he started in, in the recording industry as a producer of comedy albums. Which ties in nice because we're 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 a podcast that does the history of comedy. Yeah, no, that's that that would be that's that's a good uh, that's a good nice coincidence there. Yeah, we're not we're not Beatles history one hundred and one or no, that's, um, a, that's a whole another podcast musical producer history one hundred and two. <laughs> no, we're not. Right. No, no, we're comedy history one hundred and one. And the late great George Martin was he Sir George Martin at the end? I think he is now. I think he's Sir George Martin now. Let's let's let me pull up the uh, comedy history of one hundred and one fact-checking computer, Armin, while you continue on. I'll, I'll or or that. just pull up a computer, because uh, they all have uh, Google. Sh- he was awarded the commander of the British Empire. Nice, well done, and rightfully so. I mean, they, when, when, you always hear these conversations, Scott, like, who's the fifth Beatle? There's, he's the fifth Beatle. But George Martin, uh, without a doubt, is the fifth Beatle. I would say above Pete Best, the uh, first drummer of the Beatles. And the other Beatle. Yep, and above uh, <laughs> Brian Epstein, the manager of the Beatles, because it's essentially George Martin's creativity mixed with, you know, uh, the Beatles' creativity that kind of influx to the music that we still listen to to this day. Yeah, and that even above uh, Murray the K, who used to call himself <laughs> the fifth Beatle. <laughs> so George Martin was a comedy producer, and he worked with such comedy greats as Peter Sellers, Spike Milligan, uh, The Goon Show, which featured uh, Peter Sellers and Spike Milligan. Am I right, Scott? <laughs> yes, all those people who were featured in The Goon Show. <laughs> and, and, of course, uh, Beyond the Fringe, which featured Deli Moore and Peter Cook, and we'll dive into all that uh, later on. So George Martin's first gig when he graduated school was working for BBC's classical music department, which, again, you can hear that later in the Beatles. Um, Then he joined EMI in 1950 and became a head of EMI's um, record division. It was called Parlophone Records. Am I saying that right, Scott? Parlophone, yes. Yes, I remember remember that label. I remember seeing the comedy records and the like in my parents' collection with that uh, label. Oh, really? Wow, yeah, because that label was all about comedy records and novelty records. And Martin's, like, first big hit, uh, not for the Beatles, but in 1952, he recorded something called Mock Mozart, a single by Peter Ustinov. Yeah, Peter Ustinov from Death on the Nile. Famous actor. And from there, he kind of moved on to producing records and collaborating uh, that really got his comedy chops with one Peter Sellers. Scott, what do you, what do you know of one Peter Sellers? Well, before we go on to uh, Peter Sellers, Harmon, I wonder if there's a couple, a couple of... There's a couple uh, George <laughs> Martin things I wanted to touch on. First of yeah. all, uh, as you said, yeah, as when he started out like at the BBC and then moving to uh, EMI and Parlophone, that was back in the days when those guys would go into the studio and they'd be wearing those white lab coats. Really? Why? You know, like all the engineers, because that was just what you did. You were like the engineer, so you'd be wearing like a, a lab coat in the uh, 
in the in the studio. I mean, the Beatles had a, have a good story about that too. When they first came in there, everybody was just all wearing these lab coats, you know, in Abbey Road. <laughs> They're all like very uptight and doing it, you know, by the book. So, oh, wow. uh, that, yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, and then that's it. What's interesting about just to go back to the uh, mock Mozart, there's a couple things mm-hmm. uh, with Peter Ustinov. That was <laughs> he composed that with a Welsh composer by the name of Anthony Hopkins, which is not the actor Sir Anthony Hopkins. Like, no, I thought that, too. But it's <laughs> actually <laughs> and and Tony Hopkins. Yes, yes, and he would have been like 15 at the time when the record came out. But Yeah, uh, and Anthony that, Hopkins. You, you yeah. mean Silence of the Lambs, Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, and that's yeah. only an who, interesting Who, thing. ironically, is also Welsh. Yeah, Isn't he? exactly. <laughs> well, what's funny about the, um, the mock Mozart is that that was released in 52 by EMI Parlophone, and that's only after Martin's uh, boss kind of insisted that they, they kind of put the record out you know, and give him a chance, and the record did really well. Yeah, it was his first hit. And, and I'll preface it with many more to come. <laughs> but uh, what he really got his chops is, is working with uh, Peter Sellers. So um, Martin's collaboration with Peter Sellers is largely in the kind of like late 50s to mid 60s, kind of when like Peter Sellers was coming into his own. Um, right. You know, the Goon Show was on radio. I believe, when did Dr. Strangelove come out? Like, I, I guess like 62, maybe? Because 60, that Beatles. 64. Oh, okay. So that's, yeah, that's why that Beatles we put up front was uh, 64 as well. Do we have time for a, a bit of trivia about Dr. Strangelove? Uh, absolutely, Sellers. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, as long as it fits in the realm of a history of comedy, it kind of will fit in here. So, do you remember? There's a there's a part. Do you remember when they're they're going through the the guys in the bomber are going through their uh, their survival kits? You know, and they're all kind of reading off like everything that's in the survival kit. Yeah, um, with that scene in there. At, well, at one point, it's just like they they pull out. There's like they have a bunch of condoms in the survival kit, and the line that the guy delivers in the movie that Sam. Um, uh, Slim Pickens delivers the movie is a guy could have a lot of fun with these in Vegas, right? Holding up the condoms. But the real line that they had to dub over mm-hmm. was he, he holds up the condoms and goes, a guy could have a lot of fun with these in Dallas. And oh. they, yeah, because this came out right after, right after the assassination. So they, they had to change that line. So, so that ruined it for all jokes concerning the Lone Star State's uh, yeah, largest could, city. We, after that, we, we, we could get, we could get that on another podcast as well. Yeah, no, too clo- too soon, too soon. Can't even talk about Dallas. Oh wow! Can we talk about it now, though, Dallas? I think we can. Yeah, but that was just interesting that even as far back as 1964, Dallas was considered more hedonistic than Vegas. Wow! Would, yeah. In, <laughs> yeah. Why? I mean, now it's a, as we all know, kind of conservative. Well, I think I think in the club scene, it was a little more wild, you know. Huh? Yeah. Did not know. Yeah, interesting. Is, if there's anyway. a comedy tie to that, we should do an episode on it. We should. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> if yeah, if not, like then we just let it be. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm thinking we could tie that into into burlesque somehow. You know how the kids all like the burlesque. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Burlesque MCs and the like. So that'll be coming down here on Comedy History 101. That's right. But for now, um, George Martin and Peter Sellers put out two very popular comedy albums. One was called The Best of Sellers. And Scott, you'll like this. Um, we have yet to do an episode on the history of Spinal Tap. But there was, oh a, there was a track on The Best of Sellers called So Little Time, which was a satire of rock music that both Michael McKean and Christopher Guest uh, cited it as a very important early influence onto said 
Spinal Tap. Um, my dream is one day to play Old Vic in Shakespeare. Oh, how sweet. You are fond of Shakespeare? I? Are you fond of Shakespeare? Uh, we are just good friends. <laughs> He's rather shy still. <laughs> just a sweet, lovable lad, natural, fun-loving, and a good son to his own mother and father. You'll hear the clip. It's kind of a, you know, it's like a, a documentary-style uh, clip of, of uh, you know, someone interviewing a, a musician, a musician and his manager. Yeah, so, you know, Christopher Grass and Michael McKean, that's sort of like when they were, you know, probably like in coming of age and, you know, listening to the funny comedy albums. So, again, Mm -hmm. you know, influence on Spinal Tap. But that's sort of like all the stuff that really hit with uh, George Martin, Peter Sellers were all kind of like musical spoofs. Like in 1957, he had another album come out called Songs for Swinging Sellers, which was a parody of Frank Sinatra. My feet are swinging, my head is spinning, you've got me dangling on a line, you keep me swinging all the time. Did you you hear that one by any chance? Yeah, I did. It was, you know, it was good. Swinging Sellers. Yeah, it's him doing Frank Sinatra. But I think one track that really kind of shows the future Martin to come was a 1959 bit called A Common Entrance, which is uh, Peter Sellers portraying a father looking into a good boarding school for his sensitive son. But if you listen to that track, just kind of the ambiance that uh, George Martin puts in there is very kind of... uh, we call it reminiscent if it's about to happen in the future, or what's the word for that? Evocative, <laughs> pre, evocative pre, shape, shape pre. of things to come yes. with with the kind of like the the audioscape he would create in Days in the Life. Because yeah, I mean, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just no, I was just gonna say yeah, the 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 the, the all the different all the the things that he adds in there really kind of sell that whole little bit uh, on the uh, common entrance. I see. Tell me, what types of pupil do you have here? We have two types of pupil, class A and class B. At mealtimes, the class B boys get priority. And the class A boys? They get food. You mean to tell me that the class B boys don't eat? I never pry into their private lives. Perhaps you'd like to see one of our typical pupils. Farnsworth? Farnsworth! This is Farnsworth, one of our better eight-year-olds. He is 29. You may go, Farnsworth. Thank you, sir. Hurry along, now. Yeah, and again, it's effects. like George Martin got the whole, you know, idea of, like, you know, playing things backwards and, and shit like that when he was, you know, again, getting his, his chops in, 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 the, in the world of comedy, in, in cementing him into the history of comedy. And they actually, they harvested a top five hit, you know, so he's actually getting on the UK, you know, music charts. And they were on a top five hit with a song called Goodness Gracious Me, which, did you hear that track? flash comes to my face and my pulse begins to race. It goes boom, booty, 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 boom. Well, goodness gracious me. How often does this happen? When did the trouble start? 
You see, my stethoscope is bobbing to the throbbing of your heart. I actually, that's what I was saying. I, I, we were ta- up, up front, we were talking about, you know, what we'd heard, what we hadn't. That's the one song here I'd heard a lot of. Uh, it, was, it was a big kind of 60s hit, and my favorite 60s kind of uh, retro station would play it a lot. Really? Wow. Because it's like it's like a flirty duet with, uh, uh, you know, Hollywood hottie uh, Sophie Loren, who he co-starred mm-hmm. in the movie The Millionaires. Um, and, and by the way, it was recorded at Abbey Road Studio. Yeah. And the funny thing is, yeah, the, the, the single was supposed to kind of promote the movie, but it was never used in the movie. <laughs> Yeah, and it was like reluctant because I think they had it like uh, Sellers had a fling with Sophia Loren, and that's another thing. He got like all the movie hotties. Yeah, he did. <laughs> For being kind of he like did, an average-looking man, he he like which you know gives hope that uh, women like funny people. Yeah, dude, we just need <laughs> or to millionaires it, or it. millionaires that's it. Yeah, that's <laughs> or funny millionaires. <laughs> but it was like it, it was like almost came out of a, a, a you know. A, just like kind of a spur of the moment recording because it was said that uh, Martin dragged uh, Peter Sellers into the res- the studio to record the song on a Saturday morning, and he and Martin just had an inkling, like sixth sense, that the song would become a hit, and it was. It, it, it uh, ranked, you know, in the top five. Um, but if you listen to it, is he kind of doing an Indian accent yeah, he's, on it? He's, he's, <laughs> I haven't seen the movie, but he's doing an Indian accent. If you know, while that was kind of his thing that he, because he lived in India, so he yeah. could do a fair, fairly convincing Indian accent, although not very PC by today's standards. Like the movie The Party, have you ever seen that one? Where he, um, the movie is The Party, yeah, it's, uh, Biddy yeah. Num Num. Yeah, Birdie Num Num. Num kind of a classic, but can we can we think it's funny now? Yeah, I mean that's the thing, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm well. Again, you know, I don't know. It's like you, that's that's a whole nother episode. Yeah, it's a whole nother episode. <laughs> yeah, because he did kind of paint his face and and is talking in an accent, so you know. He did, but then you know, in when you watch the movie, he's kind of the only redeeming character in it, you know. So it's like if, you, if we're going to our it's, earlier and by the way, uh, just to tell the uh, listeners, uh, Blake Edwards movie of the Pink Panther fame. Yeah. Yeah, but to go uh, to reference our, our just our last week's episode, mm-hmm. um, you know the right wing comedy of the punching up versus punching down. Yeah, you know, just for an example, I would say in this, yes, his face he did he did uh, paint his face. He was putting on an accent, but it was in no way, I don't believe, punching down at the character, other than doing the fish out of water thing. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, so again, I think we should dive into that in a future yeah, episode. Um, we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But for this episode, uh, here's another Beatles tie is um, uh, John Lennon loved The Goon Show. And John Lennon cited that The Goon Show was a a huge influence on The Beatles, which uh, you can see in like the Magical Mystery Tour, which is Mm -hmm. almost so... which also featured uh, and ties into a, another episode we did. Uh, the the is it the Bonzo Doo-Wog Bang? Yeah, with the Neil Bonzo Doo Dog Bad. That he, Neil Innes would almost be another fifth Beatle. He was like the sixth Beatle, maybe. No, he was the fifth Monty Python or sixth Monty Python. Oh, the sixth. So, Mon- so wait, he gets oh, to be right. a fifth Beatle and a <laughs> yeah. sixth Monty Python. Yeah, he kind of he crossed over. <laughs> Yeah, so they're featured in the Magical Mystery Tour. John yeah. Lennon cites the Goon Show as an influence. Scott, what do you what do you know of the Goon Show? Well, you know, it was all our favorites, uh, Spike Milligan, 
Peter Sellers in there doing some crazy, you know, mostly did. They're mostly known for their radio comedy, although later on they branched out into TV. Um, and one of the things that the, the most famous records they did was a uh, title, which, of course, produced by Mr. Martin. Uh, it was called Bridge on the River Why, which was kind of a parody on the bridge of the river Kwai. Mm-hmm. But but apparently what happened was the, the uh, studio, movie studio, made Bridge of the River Kwai, threatened to sue them. So what they had to... Um, do George Martin had to do was go in through to the album and edit every time anyone said "quai" to edit out the "k," so it just sound they were they were saying the bridge on the river Y, which is actually a real river. Um, and actually, that's the one that separates Wales from England, I believe. But that's yeah, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so that ironically worked out well because there, yeah, like you said, it is a real actual river. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, it all worked out. It does a, a pretty good take on I think that Sellers doing. Um, uh, Al Guinness does a pretty good job there. Mm-hmm. We present the bridge over the River Kwai, subsequently the lawsuit over the River Kwai, and finally Ministry of Hygiene annual report on the River Kwai. You saw the film, you read the book. Now feel the suit as you heard it on the new wide stereophonic phonograph. Here it is as nature never intended. By sitting on both sides of the room, you can hear the full range of Wilton carpets in wrinkled strings. I mean, I listened to that track, uh, one of the tracks from it, and it kind of sounds like very much like a predecessor of Firesign Theater. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which we'll do, of, uh... we'll definitely do an episode on on that, which was kind of a groundbreaking 70s, kind of, I would say sort of psychedelic influence comedy. Yeah, very, very. With, uh, i.e., they, they probably influence. did a lot of acid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, just a funny uh, side note uh, on on the record uh, jacket for Bridge Over the River Y. It said, "For best results, play this record in a circular fashion." Yeah, there you go. Always with the jokes. Yeah, but here's a bridge which ties into kind of a uh, Martin's sort of uh, biggest comedy hit was uh, featured on the Goon Show uh, Bridge Over the River River Y album was one Jonathan Miller and Peter Cook. Uh, they played a bunch of characters, but they are also known for... Ready for it, Scott? No, Terry. Beyond the Friends. You're supposed to say it with me. Be- <laughs> well, okay, Beyond, beyond the, the Friends. friends. Okay. Now, Scott, tell, uh, you're well familiar with Beyond the Friends. What, what was Beyond the Fringe? Uh, let's see. Beyond the Fringe was kind of a musical review that premiered at the Edinburgh Festival in August of 1960. It included such luminaries as Alan. Co- co- com- comedy review. It was a com- sketch comedy, comedy show. Well, to yeah. me, it doesn't matter. To, to me, everybody's a luminary. Even, just or everyone's musical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it was Alan Bennett, Peter Cook, and Dudley Moore were among some of the players in there, and it was and it was a big hit um, up there. And uh, it was, it was cool. actually it was, a huge hit all around because it played on it went from there and it played on Broadway and then it, they had a big yeah. run in uh, Australia and New Zealand. It's kind of like mm-hmm. one of the first big comedy shows that got to tour the world. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know if this is a really this clip that we both watched, and I don't know if this is how they stage the show every time, but it was interesting because they're all just wearing suits, you know, mm-hmm. ties, jacket and ties, and they just kind of put on different hats, you know, yeah. for all the different parts. Yeah. Yeah, and again, they came out of the Edinburgh Festival, which is, mm-hmm. you know, uh, 
both you and I have done our time in Edinburgh uh, during right, yeah. the festival. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I just love these, uh, you know, legendary shows that have come originally, that originated, you know, out of the Edinburgh Festival. Oh, yeah. But that's what really cemented uh, Martin's uh, career was uh, he made the the 1961 cast album for the show, which was called, uh, was it called Behind the, yeah, it was called Behind, Behind the, the Fringe. So you want to know about the war? The thirties were coming to an end. Heavy with menace, the forties were just around the corner. I'm stepping off the ladder to breathe an atmosphere that's <laughs> At the Victoria Palace, Lupino Lane was entrancing London with me and my girl. What a a year of royal victories. Walt Disney had done it again with Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. There's a story I listened to, like this BBC um, radio documentary on George Martin. So when when the Beatles first auditioned for George Martin in 1962, uh, George Martin wasn't convinced that he wanted to take on the Beatles. Can you imagine mm-hmm. that? Can you imagine that? Just like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know about these Beatles. <laughs> I don't know about these I don't know guys. If I, yeah, I don't know how, if they're, how long of a career they're going to have, which ironically, um, if you look at it, they didn't really have that long of a career. It only expanded if you go from 62 to 69. <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, but, you know, no, but yeah, yeah. But they did, you know, the, the, the body of work is like speaks for itself. But um, so then he, he invited the Beatles into their studio and he got to know them. And it, because they were funny and made him laugh, he decided to uh, work with them. Um, and he, like, so like one of the questions he asked them is like, um, he asked the Beatles if there was anything they personally did not like. Uh, to which George Harrison reply, um, get ready for me putting on a Beatles accent. Okay, I'm ready. Well, there's your tie. <laughs> Start. Was <laughs> mm? <What>? that Beatles? <laughs> <laughs> That's a Liverpoolian accent. <laughs> you Liverpoolian accent. Do, okay. do, do you want to give that one a stab? I, I can't do it, dude. Well, no, give it a, a just give it a stab. <laughs> Give it a stab. Give it a stab. All right. All right. Well, well, your tie for a start. <laughs> that was, that was like my cock. I could do my cockney one. Well, there's your tie for a start. was like a Texas talk cockney guy. Yeah, yeah. That's like that was, almost, one, that was like a Jeff Foxworthy. But I can do. But I can do it. Listen, I can yeah, do, I can do one Beatles? cockney. Okay. Oh, okay. Ready? Ethrow, governor. That's that's it. That's all I can say. Oh, but I, you can do this one. Who do you think you are, the Long <laughs> Ranger? <laughs> Is that what you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, we drifted a little bit. A little bit, but uh, but that was actually the turning point, is that uh, the Beatles made George Martin laugh, and he went, oh, these lads are kind of funny. I mm-hmm. want to work with them, uh, you know, and again... As they say in the business, the rest is musical history. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. But yeah, there's so so there's one so up front just to bookend uh, this podcast is up front. We had uh, Peter Sellers doing a Hard Day's Night um, in 1965. Uh, he teamed again with Martin, and they created a top twenty UK hit of Peter Sellers reciting the lyrics 
of A Hard Day's Night in the manner of Laurence Olivier in Richard III. It's been a hard day's night. I should be sleeping like a log. But when I get home to you, I find the things that you do will make me feel all right. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's it's pretty good, and that that actually technically, that's the thing about the. Uh, it's great, you know. It's great, produced by George Martin. Uh, what's interesting is that because um, you know William Shatner's kind of gotten a bad name, but the thing is, William. Why Shatner, does he have a bad name? Well, because you know people make fun of his singing and stuff. But what he was actually doing, because I I do happen to own the album. And in the liner notes. Oh, wait, wait. It's called, what, what is it called? It's a transformed man. The transformed man, yes. Yeah. Oh, I have, liner, I have a funny story about that, but go ahead, yeah. Okay, in the liner notes, he's mentioned that he's going to do this song in the style of, you know, a Shakespearean actor or something like that. That's why they all sound so weird. Oh, really? So do you yeah. think he was doing it as like a homage of Peter Sellers doing Richard it been. It could to tie, to tie things back in, that's very possible, Harmon. Because actually, because you know he's Canadian, and you know those Canadians have those. Peter Sellers lo- is Canadian. No, William Shatner. And they <laughs> yeah, because like they have the William Shatner building at McGill University. That's right. Yeah, but they, and which uh, he never a, graduated from. Yeah, <laughs> but they've always had a closer tie to uh, the, the motherland, the UK, than America did. So yeah, do they possible. still have the Queen on their money? Uh, they might. I don't know. Yeah, I think they have at least like a loon okay. or something. Um. Yeah, I remember when I lived in San Francisco, I wanted to buy a, I went into a, a record store on Haight Street, and they had a transformed man on the wall. Yeah. And, uh, okay, I went, uh, how much How much is that copy of Transformed Man? And, and you know what I got from the, the, the record store clerk? What? I'm ready. More than you can afford. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, dude. <laughs> it's like, and dude, uh, I think I think we got the last laugh. Record stores have all closed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they. Uh, well, also, it wasn't that expensive, dude? I just bought mine on eBay for like eight bucks or something. Oh yeah, I I don't know. Maybe it was like a first print, whatever. Well, it could but, be. Uh, it could be before. That could have been pre eBay, dude. When was, yeah, you know. But uh, yeah. So, anyways, he gave me the uh, Simpsons comic book guy uh, <laughs> attitude. Um, so, just in closing, some other comedians that uh, George Martin uh, uh, worked with. Um, only a few on this list I recognize. I recognize Bruce uh, Forth. Do you know him? It's like big TV, uh, BBC sort of presenter. I think no, he has like no, one no. of the longest running TV shows on UK television. But he's kind of, yeah. he's just kind of like a, a UK TV fixture. Bruce Forsyth, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Dudley Moore, of course, who we already right. talked about. Uh, and the last name on this list, Bill Oldie. Do you know Bill him? Bill Oldie. Yeah, yeah, he's from the, the Goonies. The no, Goonies. not the Goonies. Uh, the Goodies. Yeah, yeah, the Goodies. Yeah. No. Yeah. Which, uh, the Goodies, by the way, uh, a very, uh, it was kind of like a surreal um, uh, a comedy show in the seventies, which was very influential to the Mighty Boosh. Yeah, oh, definitely, definitely. The other interesting thing about the, which I know this is going to be another podcast, so we'll have to get into. But I think one of the other guys in the Goodies, uh, Tim, I, th- I can't remember his whole last name, but he, oh, Tim, Tim Brooke Taylor, I think. Yes. Yeah, he was in a sketch group with Chapman, I think. 
him and yeah, Chapman yeah, because like Bill parts. Bill Odie's or, also uh, he's from either Cambridge or Oxford yeah. and was in one of those reviews and also Not, w- did a yeah. show in Edinburgh that toured all over the world. I think he yeah. was uh, writing partners with uh, John Cleese or something like that, or at least he was in a group with him or something. Yeah, I mean, it, you imagine like the comedy scene of a of a smaller country, you know, and again where. Probably Edinburgh Festival was probably the size of just like the Pleasance at the time. Yeah, I get. <laughs> you know, like uh, late fifties, early sixties. So you know, every and, and again, if you're in Oxford and Cambridge, you're all kind of in the footlights and in those kind of uh, groups that yeah. uh, a lot of crossover. Yeah. Also, yeah. In, in, in in with uh, I believe Graham Chapman was um, who's the guy that played the manager in Spinal Tap. Oh yeah, you mean your buddy? Um, yeah, um, <laughs> a National Lampoon. Oh, Tony Hendra. Tony Hendra, yeah. Yeah, so he was in uh, uh, either with uh, the Monty Python dudes at either Oxford or Cambridge. Yeah, yeah, those guys are all all uh, linked together. Before we give our takeaways on 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 uh, the history of George Martin, you know, and his comedy contributions to the world. Let me play you a little clip from a George Martin-produced novelty song called The Hole in the Ground. Do you know this one? Yeah, listen to the, I watched the video. Okay, was that used like on a TV commercial or something? Because it sounds know, it's, really it, familiar. It's, yeah, it sounds familiar, yeah. But again, that, once again, that was produced by George Martin. Scott, what is your takeaway on George Martin's contribution to the world of comedy? Um, I think it's just, it's easy, it's not easy. I think it's it's obvious to see how he started out um, kind of in his way, supporting comedy, and then using that to kind of move on forward to uh, roll with with the Beatles as a producer. I mean, I, I, I think he he worked best with his his editions of um, background music, background noises, ambiance, that kind of thing that I think we would see pop up later in the Beatles. Yeah, absolutely. He was he was an audio storyteller. He could fill the audio sphere with uh, atmospheric type. Uh, audio i guess <laughs> <laughs> but again you could hear like in, in in the early stuff uh the 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 tricks he would use in in later beatles uh records so 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 scott raise your glass and say hey here here george martin here 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 george here martin. george martin here Cheers here to you which brings us to viewer mail Ooh, scott we got some hate mail or, uh, depending on how I read it, some uh, love mail from our last episode on the history of right-wing comedians punching down. Oh, no. Okay, what happened? Do you want to read it or should I? No, no, you read it. A James Mack writes, Most comics don't want to admit that they 
have any even middle-leaning ideology because they will be burned at the stake. Also, do research before you do a podcast on something. Know the comics' names and what they're known for. This was shit, says oh, James Mack. Ooh. Err. James Mack, we're going to give you a free Comedy History 101 coffee mug. All right, excellent. Just, yeah. <laughs> what, and Harmon, how, would, how did James contact us? Um, he contacted us through one of our many social media contacts, which is on Facebook, Comedy History 101, Twitter, Comedy Hiss 101, or Instagram, Comedy History 101, or even our website, ComedyHistory101.com. Oh, excellent. Subscribe today. Yes. And leave totally. a comment. And yes. we'll read it on the air, just on like air. James Mack, just who's like getting a now. free Comedy History 101 coffee mug. Wow. Once we create them. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, it's time to plug away. Scott, what do you have to plug? Well, Harmon do have, as I said, I've mentioned this over and over again, I do have a film that I wrote and directed and Harmon produced called Everything You Want to Know About Sudden Birth, but we're afraid to ask. It's on the festival circuit right now. I do have a little bit of exciting news. We did win um, a special jury award at the Seattle International Film Festival last week. So that's Here, 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 here. So uh, we're still out there. Uh, you can actually see it today if you're in San Francisco. <laughs> well, uh, well, this is going up later on, but it's going to be uh, yeah. premiering. It's showing at the San Francisco Doc Festival um, today. June 2nd and it's also in the next couple of weeks will be showed at the Norwegian Short Film Festival that's in Norway uh, Oak Cliff Film Festival in Texas in Dallas by the way kind of near Dallas what we were just talking about and at the AFI Docs Festival in uh, Silver Spring, Maryland and then also we just found out that we will be showing in Harmon's uh, stomping grounds of uh, Minnesota in, uh, I, I live in Brooklyn well I mean it's your old I stomp in Brooklyn yeah but it's your old stomping grounds <laughs> And for me, my plug away, um, you can read all my current stories on The Observer at Observer.com. I'll be cranking out some regular content for them. Let's see, what else have I plug? Oh, I have an upcoming book coming out in July. It's called Tribe Spotting, uh, Undercover Culture Stories. You can pick up a pre-order at Tribespotting.com. Ooh, exciting. Yeah, and with that, thanks a lot for tuning in to this episode of Comedy History 101, where we school you in comedy. We'll be back next week. Thanks a lot, and bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're stupid. Everybody's so stupid. Good thing about doing comedy in Russia, you have captured the audience. You're stupid. Everybody's so stupid. Comedy History 101.